Now that inside your bulletin is the call to worship again, it comes from one of the Psalms, Psalm 27, and again it is a call to grow and be taught by our Lord to have his guidance in our lives, and then at the very end of this call to worship, there is that desire to wait upon the Lord, that that idea of waiting is, is to trust in him, even in our darkest days to have confidence in a God who controls all things, who loves us and cares about us, will help us get through those things in a way that's pleasing in His sight. So may we be a people that are taught and may we be a people that wait upon our God. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship this morning. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the level path because of my foes. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now let us take our Trinity hymn books and turn to hymn 164, 164, Angels from the Realm of Glory. Wing your flight o'er all the earth. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. 164.
Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you still delight in people coming and worshiping you. We thank you, Father, for the babe that came. We thank you, Father, for the perfect life that he lived, for the life that he laid down for us, for his victory over death, his resurrection, and the hope that we have, Father, because of that. So we pray, Father, as we gather together today that we will indeed seek to worship you, to glorify your name in all that we do. We pray that you would be with those who are unable to be with us, draw near to them. Pray, Father, that as they are at home recouping, uh, that you would draw near to them and that they might feel your presence today. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have of worshiping you. We just pray that your name would be honored and glorified today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And now I ask that you take the Trinity hymn book and turn to 621, Great King of Nations, Hear Our Prayer. I don't know that we've sung this song before. I think it's a familiar tune, but it is taken from the scripture reading this morning there in Luke chapter 1. 621.
Verse 39, now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to the city of Judea and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how is it? And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt within my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in my God, my Savior. For he has regretted, regarded the humble state of his bondservant. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them and all the matters were being talked about in all of the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? 
for the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of the Holy Spirit from the, of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation, by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Well, this morning, as we seek our God together again, we want to especially pray for the Yulbergs who labor in Bolivia. So let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning with grateful hearts. For many of us know the reality of having our sins forgiven. Many of us know the reality of having been reconciled to you, O Lord. Many of us have the privilege of even now coming before the throne of grace and have an audience with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so our hearts are filled with gratitude because of the work that was accomplished by our Savior, Jesus Christ. How thankful we are that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, that that he might redeem us. Father, we count ourselves as those who are blessed in light of those realities. Father, we would pray that this morning as we've gathered to lift up your name, to give you the worship and the praise that is your due, That we might know something of your presence among us. That through your word and by the work of your spirit, that the presence of Christ would be so known among us. And that the word of God would be so effective among us. That you would receive much glory and honor. And so, Father, we're asking you this morning, do not leave us alone, but come and minister unto us. And do us good. We pray that not only for ourselves, but we pray for that wherever your word is going forth. Around our county, around our state, around our world. That, Father, today would be a day of of an awakening among those who know you not. That the Spirit of God would show them their sin. And that, Father, you would be pleased to draw them unto yourself. 
And so may we see your kingdom expanded even through the word that is preached. For faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Father, as we think of the gospel going forth, we would again remember the Yulbergs there in Bolivia. We pray that you'll continue to bless Jeremy and his opportunities to share the gospel with others. We thank you for these two churches that he is involved in. We pray your blessing upon them. We, we pray for the one assembly where there, there are many young people but not many adults and how we pray that you would bring men and women among them, especially men who might grow to be leaders there in that assembly. We thank you for their work among the young people and thank you for their opportunity to share the gospel there at the camp that you've given to them. May you continue to use that as an avenue by which the gospel is able to be shared with those. Father, we would pray for ourselves this morning and pray for our families that we would be a people that love you. That, Father, we would be families that glorify and honor you. That we would recognize our various roles in the home. And that, Father, as we seek to fulfill those roles, that we might know your blessing upon us. So draw near to us, we pray this morning, as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your Trinity hymn books again, turning to 157. 157, it came upon a midnight clear, the glorious song of old, 157. Let's stand together as we sing.
You may be seated. Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. If you weren't with us last week, I have put aside Deuteronomy for a few weeks and hope to get back to it later on in the new year. But for now, we're just looking at various passages concerning the coming of Christ into the world, the incarnation of our Lord. And this morning we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 9. Before we read the text, I want to just remind you of that occasion right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead there in Luke chapter 24. On that occasion, two men were traveling down a road heading to Emmaus. And they were engaged in conversation about all that had taken place. And as they were speaking to one another, another man comes along who is the living Christ. And he approaches them and begins walking with them. But they don't recognize him. We read that Christ made an inquiry. And he asked these two men, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And the two men were somewhat taken back by his question. And they asked him, are, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Do you know what, do you not know what's been happening these past few days? And Christ looks at them and says, what things? And they say to him, things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and be crucified. And they expressed hope that, that this Jesus would have been the one to redeem Israel. And they go on to say, besides all this, it's the third day. And we've been told by some women that they went to the tomb and his body wasn't there. And two angels greeted them and, and said that this Jesus is alive. And in fact, some others went back and they too looked and found his body missing. Jesus looks at these men who seem to be very sad and in despair over the events that have taken place, and he says this, this to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And then we read this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Now the three of them were coming to the village. And the two men asked Christ to stay with them 
because it was getting towards the evening, and he did so, and, and they broke bread, and, and he blessed the bread. And the Word of God says that evening their eyes were open, and they knew him for who he was, that this was the very Christ. And then the Scripture says he vanished. And as the two spoke of what took place, one said to the other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us? Imagine. Imagine what it would have been like to have Jesus Christ himself opening the Scriptures, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, would have loved to have been nearby and to listen to what Christ was saying to them hearing His explanation of the Old Testament Scriptures and how these things all led to Christ. How wonderful it would have been to sit and have Him take us through the Scriptures. And these two men says their hearts were burning within them. That what Jesus had to say had a burning effect upon them. Pastor Alistair Beggs says this, these disciples were fired up and soon they would be filled up with the Holy Spirit and then they could not shut up about the truth. They were fired up. They were filled up. And they could not shut up. He says in that sermon, that'd be a wonderful sermon for a different time. And so he didn't expound upon that. But the impact of having the Scriptures explained to them was great upon these men. What Scriptures did Christ open up? Did He take them to Genesis? The writings of Moses? Chapter 3, of course it wouldn't have been chapter 3 and verse 15, but, but, but does He focus upon that, that portion of Scripture that we focused on last week where, where there's the promise immediately after Adam and Eve fell into sin, immediately after Adam ate of the tree, God comes along and He gives them this promise that God would provide a seed and that seed would crush the head of the serpent. Is that one of them? At some point, does Christ look at these men and say, do you remember what Isaiah had to say? And we come to our text. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. 
For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and government will rest on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Here's a prophecy given by Isaiah some 700 years before it would be fulfilled. Now Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7 does not come to us isolated or in a vacuum. It comes to us at a time in which in Israel's history was a very dark day. A very sad day. There had been the practice of idolatry. There had been disobedience to the law of God. We read at the end of chapter 8 these words as Isaiah pronounces judgment upon them. He says, verse 21, They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. And it will turn out when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upwards. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness." It will be. It was a time of real despair and what seems to be a hopelessness in in the land of Israel because of their sin. And Isaiah delivers the prophecy of God's wrath and of His judgment. But when we come into chapter nine things change. And Isaiah, who's been a prophet of doom and darkness, now becomes a prophet of hope in the midst of the gloom. Isaiah, in the opening verses of chapter 9, gives them hope by giving them promises. In verse 1, he says, gloom will turn to honor. Verse 2, darkness will turn to light. Verses 3 and 4, oppression will turn to joy. Verse 5, war to peace. These are glorious promises. There is hope in the midst of this darkness and this gloom. But how will this come about? How will this take place? And In order to explain this, Isaiah says, for, when you read the word for, he's going to give you an explanation. Here's how it's going to happen. And Isaiah speaks of it happening as though it had already taken place. He is so confident That the God who said, one day I will bring a man into this world from the seed of a woman. 
And that individual will crush the head of a servant. He is confident of these realities. And therefore he says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And so this one who has been promised and now prophesied is set before us by his identity, who he is. And it's those things that I, that I want you to consider with me this morning, that there are six of them in particular that, that identifies this child that will be coming into the world who will bring redemption for his people. And we can't be exhaustive. If we were, this would be a series. But I just want you to look at his identity set before us in these two verses. First of all, the child is identified by his humility. His humility. Isaiah says, a child will be born. A son will be given. Who exactly is this son? Well, turn over to Isaiah, just a couple pages. You may not even have to change your page. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And he gives us more of the details. He says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. This one who I'm sending into the world, this child will be born of a woman. She will be a virgin. This child will be born like every other person. His mother will carry him for nine months. He'll be born on a certain day in history. Which, to be accurate, isn't December 25th. But he'll be born on a certain day in history. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 52, we're told... That, that this boy grew in stature. What does that mean? That means he, he grew like every other little boy. He went through everything that every other boy goes through. He grew in wisdom and in stature. He, he, he learned things and he grew up. He would know what it was like to run down the road and stumble over his own feet and then have a big scratch on his knee and blood coming forth. And perhaps Mary coming along and saying, come on, I'll take care of this and take care of him. He would come into this world fully as a man. Fully as a man. He would know what it was like to be hungry. 
He would know what it's like to be thirsty. He would know what it's like to be tired. He would know what it's like to weep. He would know what it's like to be forsaken. He would know what it's like to be disappointed. He would know what it's like to be hurt by others. He would know what it's like to be tempted in every way, just like you and me. He was fully man. And in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, we have that familiar verse of Scripture where it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And then what's the next thing? Let us draw near to Him. Did you ever go through something and you had a thought come into your mind that was something like this? Nobody truly understands. And I say to you, there is one. There is one who's gone through everything that we go through, yet without sin. And therefore, the Scripture says, draw near to Him with confidence. Now, oftentimes, if I hear somebody say something like, nobody understands what I'm going through, I think to myself, that's probably an exaggeration. There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, I mean granted, if somebody comes to me and, and says, my house burnt down, do you know what that's like? We lost everything. I would have to say, no, I don't. I've never experienced that. Right? But I'm sure somebody has. You're not the only one that has a house that's burnt down. So when you say, nobody understands, I'm sure there's somebody. You may not know them. That's what you may say. I don't know anyone who understands what I'm going through. But even that's a false statement because our Lord knows everything you're going through as a human being with human emotions, human hurts, and so forth. And we need to come boldly before Him. He knew hunger, he knew thirst, he knew what it was to grow tired and to weak and be tempted. You know what? He also knew what it was to die. Think about that. He knew what it was to die. And so that's the Son that's been given. He's been given unto us. We see Him in His humility. Secondly, Isaiah identifies the child by his sovereignty. His sovereignty. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. Man may believe that he is the ultimate ruler. Kings and princes and presidents might think that they're the ones 
ultimately in control of all things, and I will rule as I please. But there's one who is over them. The ultimate throne is in the heavens, to which every other lower ruler will answer and give an account. He is the only one who is sovereign over all things. We read in Hebrews 1 that the Father has placed Him on the throne. And we are to live every day acknowledging that He is the ruler over the kingdom of God. He's the ruler over all that God has made. Edward Young in his commentary says, The Son is to be king, a ruler, a sovereign. Even Christ Himself says in Matthew 28, All power in heaven is, and on earth is given unto Me. Writing about Christ, Paul tells us that He's working all things after the counsel of His own will. The psalmist, the psalm 2, tells us that, that the one sits in the heavens and laughs. He laughs as rulers take counsel against him. As rulers believe they have more control than anyone and they think they'll set up everything and, and they will rule over all things. And God, that's what the Bible says. God laughs. What does God's laughter sound like? But he laughs at the foolishness of men who think that they're sovereign in themselves and think that somehow they will overrule what God has determined. But, but God is the blessed controller of all things. This child that's born, this one that's come into the world, he is sovereign over all things. And dear friends, that ought to bring comfort to your heart. There are things that transpire in our lives that we don't understand. And to be honest with it, there are things that come into our lives that we think to ourselves, I, I wish this wasn't happening. This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem good. But to know that the one who rules over every event that transpires in my life, loves and cares for me, and He's sovereign over all things, and He's working all things for His glory and my good, helps me get through whatever I have to pass through. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. Thirdly, this child is identified by His wisdom. By His wisdom. For His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. It's one thing to have a ruler who rules over all things. But if this ruler is void of wisdom, we've got a problem. But the Word of God makes it clear that this one who rules over all things is, is the wonderful Counselor. He's the one who rules all things with unsearchable wisdom. Unsearchable wisdom. He knows. He knows what is best for every situation. 
there have been times in which I've asked God, would you make me omniscient? Make me all wise? Because there are some things that, that I, I can't put together. There's things, I don't want to disappoint anybody, there's things I don't know. And I can't know. Aren't you glad I'm not ruling over all things? But the God who does rule over all things has unsearchable wisdom. And He knows what's best. Let me say that again. He knows what is best. Matthew Henry says, when we know not what to do, He does. He does. He is not a leader with blind spots. He's not a leader that's uncertain as to how to rule best. He's a wise leader. A wise leader. The, the psalmist in Psalm 147 tells us that his understanding is infinite. His understanding is infinite. Jerry Bridges writes, He never has to anguish over a decision. He does not even have to deliberate within himself or consult others outside himself. His wisdom is intuitive, infinite, and infallible. His understanding has no limits. James tells us the, his, the wisdom from above is pure. He is the wonderful Counselor. That word wonderful means exceptional counselor. And He gives us all we need in His Word so that we might live for His glory. I, I do not, as I mentioned before, I do not know every situation. I do not know how to untangle every situation. But I do know what God says we ought to be doing even in the midst of a tangled mess. Because He's given us His Word. He's identified by His wisdom. And fourthly, He's identified by his deity. His deity. And His name shall be called Mighty God. Mighty God. Again, go back to chapter 7 and verse 14. And the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And you shall call His name Emmanuel. And we read in Luke's account... It means God with us. God with us. This one, this child, is fully man and fully God. This child is God 
in human flesh. There in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it's very clear that the Son of God incarnate is God in the flesh. The hymn writer said it this way, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity, Please as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. When the Son of God comes into the world, when that babe is born of a virgin, yes, He is fully man and has gone through everything that each one of us have gone through, but He is also nonetheless fully God. And when Paul says there in Philippians, he emptied himself, it does not mean he set aside his Godhead while he became human. It means he concealed his Godhead while he was human. He concealed his deity from the view of man. But he was God nonetheless. In John chapter 10 and verse 30, Christ Himself says, I and the Father are one. In John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and the Word was God. Not a God, He is God. He's the one that spoke everything. He's the one who created all things. Psalm 22 and verse 9, He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood still. Remember there in Job, Job chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, we read these words, But as for me, I would seek God and I would place my cause before God who does great and unsearchable things. And then if you read on down in Job 5, he, he goes on to list some of those things. He causes rain to fall. He lists several things there that God does by His great power. This child that's born in a manger is identified in His deity. He is God. He is God in the flesh. I say, what great comfort that ought to bring to us. What great comfort that ought to bring to us. Because who, who could better give the sacrifice needed to redeem us from our sins? His deity. Fifthly, He is recognized or identified by His compassion. His compassion his name will be called Eternal Father. This child, born of a virgin, God in the flesh, this child is one who cares for his own. When you think of a father, you think of someone who, who loves and cares 
for his family, his own. The, the term father speaks of the quality of the son with respect to his people. He, he will act like a father towards them. In Isaiah 63 and verse 16, for you are of for, for you are our father through though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not recognize us, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from old is your name. You are our father. He's a father who loves his children. I've said this before, and it's still true that, that sometimes when we refer to him as father, there are some of us who may recoil. Because when we think of a father, we don't think of someone who loves us and cared about us. Some of us were deserted by one called father. But this father is not like him. He loves us. And he cares for us. And he only wants to do us good. He only wants to do it. He's a good God. He's a good Father. As, as Dr. Ferguson said this morning in Sunday school, you know, we, 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 we lose sight of God's goodness and His grace towards us. And, and, and he gave the illustration of the father who takes the child to the, into the toy department of the store. And some, you know, it was a comical illustration that he gave as he said, the father looks at the child and says, see all these toys? You're not going to get any of them. And that's oftentimes how some people think of God. And that's what Satan tried to convince Eve of. Eve, come on. He put you in this garden, gave you all these things, and then said, you can't touch any of them? What was he trying? He's trying to get her to question the goodness of God. But he's a good God who loves and cares for his children. Psalm 103 and verse 13, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his children. And then, and then to show us the excellency of the fatherhood of the Son, he's, he's described with this adjective. He's the eternal Father. He's the eternal Father. He is the one who is eternal as Father to His people. And perhaps there's, there's a couple thoughts that come to mind. One, He's eternal. He, he's been from the beginning. He, he's not just lately arrived on the scene. He he's, he's began all things from the very beginning. But it also has this idea that He will continually be with us all the way. He, he will not desert us. This, this afternoon we will consider together that statement there in John. He will in no wise cast us off. And any man who's been a father have, have known occasions, I hope I'm not the only one, where you wanted to say, okay kids, I'm done with you. Get out of my house. I don't want to see you again. All right? I don't remember ever saying that to my kids. I have said, if you want to leave, leave. But, you know, our Heavenly Father is going to care for us, 
all the way to the end. To the end. Again, Mr. Young says in his commentary, now and forever he guards his people and supplies their needs. Supplies their needs. He is the father that cares for his children. He knows what's best for his children. And he has all eternity to bring it to pass. His compassion. And then finally, sixthly, he's identified by his peace. His peace. His name will be called Prince of Peace. He is the only one who can provide peace to his people. He is the very embodiment of peace. He is the prince who obtains peace. And he obtained peace by taking our sins upon himself and having the full wrath of God fall upon him. And being the one who satisfied the claims of absolute, the absolute justice of God. He brings peace. We, we live in a time of such unsettledness. We live in a time in which there is such division. We're, we're living in a time where there is so much tension. We're living in a time in which there's great uncertainty. But the believer has something this world knows nothing about. And the believer has peace. Peace. When I, when I go to Walmart, I understand who knows what could happen. I understand that we're living in a day of mass shootings. It's the reality we're now living in. But in the midst of that, just to have peace. Now, I'm not saying be foolish. I'm, I'm saying, but I have peace. To, to have a peace that passes understanding. That, that if, if God takes me home today to, to be at peace, it, it, it would really mean it's a gain. Now, my wife doesn't like me talking about that, but you know, I, I've told her it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel bad leaving her, but you know, to be at peace. I told you a couple of weeks ago about a friend of mine who was diagnosed with cancer. And from the time of his diagnosis till his death was about two weeks. I mean, it was quick. Patriotic cancer. And, and when they gave him his diagnosis and told him it was terminal, I mean, they could do things, but it would just prolong his pain and so forth. But he, he was going to be, look like, barring a miracle, he was going to die soon. His funeral was about a week or so ago, and Trish and I were traveling, and it was videoed. You know, now you can watch 
they li they didn't live stream it, but they videoed it and so on. While we were traveling, we were listening to his funeral. And, and a friend of his said that he was at his house within an hour after Greg got the news that he had terminal cancer. And he said he, when he walked in the house, they were talking, and, and, and Greg said this to me. He's, this guy said, Greg said this to me. I've been preparing for this since the day I came to know Jesus Christ. What a statement. I've been preparing for this since the day I came to know Jesus Christ. Talk about having peace. Peace in every circumstance. Now, listen, I, I didn't say things were going to be easy. And I didn't say everything was going to be, you know, if, if you're going through trials and struggles, then, then something must be wrong with you. But you know what? In the midst of trials and struggles to have peace, God's in control. I can trust Him. And even as we began the service this morning, I can wait upon Him believing that He is in control of every circumstance of my life and He's working it out for my good and His glory and to live at that peace. Now, also let me say this. I'm not saying that's easy to do. I'm not. But it's something we ought to strive for because our Savior is the Prince of Peace. And so this one who would be born of a woman who would crush this head of Satan is one who's identified by his humanity, by his sovereignty, by his wisdom, by his divinity, by his compassion, and by his peace. And you know what? We can know him. Many of you sitting here this morning do know Him. What a wonderful companion. What a wonderful Savior. But there's some sitting here that don't. You don't know Him. You don't have a relation. You know about Him. I mean, it's Christmas time. Even on the radio, you turn it on and, and, and they're singing songs about Christ being born. So you know about Him, but you don't know Him. There's no relationship with Him. That, and my friends, He stands ready to save everyone who comes to Him. Anyone who comes in faith believing, He's ready to save. And say, so you and I, we can have a relationship. We can know each other. We can walk together. He stands ready even this day to receive any who come to Him in faith. Let's pray. Father, we do give You thanks for Your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we just pray that, Father, You would help us to, to be a people who remind ourselves daily who our Savior is. 
so that as we live in a broken, fallen world, we might live in that way which you're able to smile at? Father, might we know that our Savior understands everything we're going through? Might might we find great comfort in the reality that He controls everything? And that one that controls everything loves us as a father loves his child? And that one who controls everything is the wise one and He knows what is best? And that that one who controls everything is, is one who gives us peace. And so, Father, we pray that these would not just be identifying marks that we consider together, but that His identification would be a a help to us to live as we ought. Father, how we would pray some who sit among us who have no relationship with the Son. May today be a day of salvation. For we ask all these things in that name which is above every name. Amen. Closing, take your hymn books and turn to 700 Trinity hymn books, turning to 373. 373 in your Trinity hymn book. It's a hymn that comes again from this passage of Scripture. Um, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It's a hymn we've not sung before, but again, the tune is familiar, so I think we can sing out on it. 373. Let's stand together as we sing.
it's, it's a gospel that is well worth spreading. May God help us to do so. Having lunch, and then we're back up here for an afternoon service around the Lord's table. Again, we protect the table by asking everyone can come, but those who participate must be a member in good standing of the local church and, uh, first of all, be a believer. And if you meet those requirements, you're welcome to participate. If you have any questions, you can see me. Thank you.